It reveals the sinner's disregard for God's goodness, God's forbearance, God's long-suffering, which could lead sinners to repentance. Here's the goal that God has in the Word of God, is to not necessarily tell us how bad we are, but the goal is that all who are separated from God might be saved through the work of God that He has provided through His Son, Jesus Christ. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Today we are looking at Romans chapter 2, the first 16 verses of Romans chapter 2. I titled this, No Partiality. Last week, we looked at verses 18 through 32 of chapter 1, where Paul, as a prosecuting attorney, he indicted the unbelieving world by revealing the reason behind their sinful condition and the consequences of their sins. And since the unbelieving world, they had exchanged the truth of God for a lie, God's wrath was released upon them. Thus, God gave them up, it says, to uncleanness, to vile passions, and Romans 1.28 gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. And then he listed out verses 24 through 31. He listed out 24 evidences of their depravity. And Paul's list included the 24 are homosexuality, unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. Paul called them whisperers, backbiters, haters of God. They were violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Paul wasn't finished yet. He said in verse 32, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, And those who practice such things are deserving of death. Not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. I said this last week, Paul made his net big. I spelled it in my notes with all caps. He meant to do this because he was bringing everyone under the condemnation of God's word. Paul did this in hopes that some might cry out to the living God in repentance and look to Jesus that they might be saved. So chapter 1, Paul clearly 
deals with the unbelieving world. And as we move into chapter 2, we find that Paul will begin to deal with his Jewish people. So I titled this No Partiality, Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 16, divided it into three points, God judges in truth, verses 1 through 4, God judges in righteousness, 5 through 10, and God judges without partiality, verses 11 through 16. So I'm going to read the first point, verses 1 through 4, and open us in prayer. Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, God judges in truth. Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourselves, for you who judge practice the same thing. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Father, I pray that you would open our hearts to receive from your word this morning, Lord, that which the Spirit is speaking to us. We, Lord, just desire to gain an understanding of your word as it was written, as it was written historically to the Romans and the Christian believers in Rome in Paul's day, but also, Lord, in the truth of your word as it applies to us in our day. So bless us now, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to define the key word of each of the different points, but God judges in truth. And we begin with that word truth in the Greek. It speaks about not only truth, but purity from all error or falsehood. Love of truth, both in words and conduct, meaning that God judges with a sincere mind and sincerity of heart. So Paul, as he continues his indictment against unbelievers by widening his net, he includes those who should have known better. Now, if you read commentary on Romans chapter 2, you'll find that there is a debate amongst the scholars whether Paul is speaking about moral Gentiles, basically, or speaking to his Jewish people. We know when we get to Verse 16, he's speaking to the Jewish people because he says so. But here it's a little gray understanding whether he's speaking to, and we can understand this, that in our world today, there are some who don't know Christ as their Savior, but they are pretty decent and good people. And morally, they conduct themselves to almost fit the image of what a believer should be in conducting themselves. Sometimes, the moral unrighteous actually conduct themselves better than those who claim Christ as their savior. And so this is the argument in chapter one. He went after those who were deep in the depravity of sin. And now he goes after those who their morality is a bit higher than those of chapter one. But because of their approving nature, they don't do the things that the unbelievers do in chapter one, but they 
allow it to happen. They approve of these things. He brings them into the condemnation. So he, he widens that net. He makes it bigger. And so before I said in all caps, I wrote the word big in my notes. Now I should increase the font on it and make it even bigger in my notes. I didn't do that, but I could. Because he's casting the net and he's making it bigger. Next week he'll make it even broader by including the Jewish people. Right now, the question is, is he speaking about the Jews or speaking about the moral unrighteous? It's hard to say exactly, but he is building an argument. And at the end of the argument, he's going to present Jesus Christ as the hope to a world that is without hope. And so he continues his argument and he tells us that God judges in truth. Remember, truth is a Greek word that refers to purity from all error or falsehood. This is our God. And he judges according to truth. It is uh, a two words that says that he judges in accordance to truth, according to fact. So God is going to judge rightly with all knowledge when he judges this world, when he judges us. And we speak about a future judgment. Here, Paul is speaking about the judgment that God has already made upon the world itself. And so he says in verses 1 and 2, Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things, but we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. One of the great condemnations against the church is the hypocrisy that is often found among believers within the church. And while many may agree with the prohibitions that are found in the Bible, the list of 24 in chapter 1, or perhaps we go back to Exodus chapter 20 or Deuteronomy chapter 5 where the list of the Ten Commandments are given to us, the thou shall nots. Although many may agree with these lists of prohibitions that we find in the Bible, they may agree with them, but they're often found guilty of breaking the very same laws that they're in agreement with. And this was true for either the moral Gentile or the Jewish people of Paul's day. In Romans 2.23, Paul definitely says to the Jews, you make your boast in the law. Do you dishonor God through breaking the law? And so the Jews, they would claim we have the law. And they made their boast in the law and the fact that God had made them a, a special people, a redeemed people, and had given them the law, but they were lawbreakers. And so he tells them first, that they are inexcusable. It is to be without excuse. And Paul used this word in connection to the Gentiles who had rejected the evidence of God's existence as through the creation. He used the very same word last week in chapter 1, verse 20, where he said, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And so he used that very same word 
in Romans 1.20, without excuse. Here he says in our verse 1 of chapter 2, you are inexcusable, you're without excuse, because they have denied the creation of God. Paul declared it in his day, they're doing the very same thing, Romans 1.20, to this day, that which could be clearly seen, being understood by what things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, they have denied God in our creation. It's happening to this day. So Paul's statement, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge, can be directed to both the Jews and the Gentiles, those who perhaps felt they were a little morally higher than those of chapter 1, and yet they condone these things. He said, you are without excuse. In Psalm 98, verse 9, the psalmist tells us, For he is coming to judge the earth with righteousness. He shall judge the world and the peoples with equity. God is going to judge one day. He is coming to judge the earth, and there is going to be the Bema Seat judgment of believers, the great white throne judgment of unbelievers, and then those who will be cast into the lake of fire. But God is coming, and when he judges, he's going to judge according to truth. Remember, it is a word that speaks about purity from all error or falsehood, but he's also going to judge in righteousness and equity. So Paul continues, verses 3 and 4. Or do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Those practicing such things, the list of 24 from chapter 1, Paul relates a repeated phenomena, whether Jew or Gentile, whether believer or unbeliever, people will often condemn others for the very same things, very same sins that they themselves are guilty of committing. That's why I love 1 Corinthians 10, 12. It's a verse of warning for those who are ready to pull the trigger of condemnation against someone else. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. It reminds me, and I used this verse on a school teacher in 1992. When I was in California, there was a prominent minister who fell in ministry. At that time, Pastor Chuck of Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa helped in the process of restoration with this man. And this school teacher, I was a janitor at Calvary Costa Mesa in their school system there, and she was complaining about what Pastor Chuck had done. And I said, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And she simply said, okay, Pastor John. She got it, and she, she stopped the complaining. I was first-year student at the School of Ministry, I was not a pastor at the time I had pastored before, but anyways, I got tired of hearing the complaining, and I was trusting that Pastor Chuck knew what he was doing. Sometimes we have to trust what our leadership might be doing, though we may not understand it, 
but also the warning, I think, is to all of us, when you're ready to pull the trigger on condemnation, make sure, as my dad used to often say, when you point the finger at someone else, he would say four fingers are pointing back at you. I think technically three do, but anyways, I don't forget that. Be careful about the condemnation. That we are guilty, and Paul is just, again, he's enlarging the net, and that is his purpose here. He's building an argument, and he's going to continue to build this argument throughout chapter 2. So he tells us to willfully judge others while practicing the same or similar sins. It reveals the sinner's disregard for God's goodness, God's forbearance, God's long-suffering, which could lead sinners to repentance. Here's the goal that God has in the word of God as he presents it to us, is to not necessarily tell us how bad we are, but the goal is to bring hope to salvation, that all who are separated from God might be saved through the work of God that he has provided through his son, Jesus Christ. That is why Peter wrote in 2 Peter 3, verses 9 through 15, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises toward us as some count slackness, but is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless, and consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. I had to throw in verse 15 for two reasons. One, first, we consider that the long-suffering of the Lord is salvation. And so we think, as we look around at our messed-up world, another messed-up thing I saw in the media this morning, my thought was, why does the vice president's wife have to take a job as a school teacher, but she did, and that's fine. Maybe the duties of a vice president's wife isn't as, as heavy as perhaps the president's wife, but Mrs. Pence took a job at a Christian school that she had worked at for 12 years at a previous time, and yet atheists are coming against her for working at not taking the job, it's where she's working. It's the Christian school. And it's because the Christian school has in its uh, statements for the employees and the parents that pay to have their kids go to school there that they take a stand on marriage according to the word of God. And because of what's in their bylaws, well, it's made the news today. But consider that the long-suffering the Lord is salvation. We think, Lord, how long? Well, he's waiting that others might be saved. The second half of verse 15 of 2 Peter 3, that is really uh, cool to read, is that Peter said, just like Paul wrote, according to the wisdom given to him. So Paul and Peter in agreement on these things. And so we find here in the first point that the inexcusable practice, the very same sins that they were, condemned others of committing, thus becoming the inescapable when it comes to the judgment of God, but also those who despise the goodness, the forbearance, the long-suffering of God, 
will be unable to escape the judgment of God. So we want to make sure that we're not the ones despising God's goodness, forbearance, long-suffering. And he's building an argument, but he's using and he's going, and we'll see it again as we get into the next point. He's going back and forth between where the world is and their unbelief, but also the grace of God and the availability of salvation that God has made available through Jesus Christ. So verses 5 through 10, I'll read the context. And we're looking at our second point, God judges in righteousness. But in accordance to your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also to the Greek, but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So God judges in righteousness. It's a compound Greek word that speaks about equitable decision. That's the compound Greek word. You put those two words together, equitable decision, a just sentence. So a judgment that renders justice and produces what is right. So a compound Greek word that means equitable decision or a just sentence. So first we see the hardened and impenitent hearts in verses 5 and 6. But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds. This hardness, it's only used here, the Greek word is only found here in the New Testament. It means to have a callous, stubborn heart. This impenitent heart, they're without repentance. And he says, you're treasuring up for yourself wrath. And we find that judgment in Revelation 2012. It's the great white throne judgment of the unbelieving, where he said, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things written in the books so that's the point I wanted to get by looking at Revelation 20, 12. Notice that there are books, several books, and then there's the book, the book of life. And there's distinction between the books and the book of life. The book of life referring to those who are the redeemed, have their name written in the Lord's book of life because of their faith either prior to Christ's coming it would be the Jewish and the God-fearers who looked forward to the Messiah's coming and walked in fellowship with God, or after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, since he has now paid the price of our sin and ascended into heaven, he is at the right hand of the Father. It's those now who look back to the work of Jesus and are saved 
because of the work that he has done, our names are found written in the book of life. But God judges according to the things written in the books. So those who continue in the hardened and impenitent hearts, they will one day stand before the righteous judgment of God, where they will be sentenced to everlasting punishment, but also they will be adjudged according to their works. And I pray, Lord, as we journey through Romans this year, Lord, that you would help us to, if we are finding ourselves being conformed to this world that we're in, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be now transformed by the renewing of our minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And that transformation process, we know, Lord, begins with faith, faith in the work of Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that in the hearing of my voice, that we all know you as Savior. But if not, Lord, we offer that opportunity to anyone who would like to be saved. Pray, Lord, that you would be with us now as we worship, as we take time to wait upon you now. In the name of Jesus, amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today. And may the Lord richly bless you as you worship him today. Hey.